All right, the preacher beeper. So, who wishes you had a preacher beeper, huh? I do not wish you had a preacher beeper. All right. Hey, this morning, um, we're going to talk about, we're closing up our series on genuine community, and uh, we are going to uh, finish up today. The title of it today is called Share the Gospel. We went, uh, met three weeks ago and talked about how we share life together, how we do life together as a community of faith, and then we talked about sharing our differences, um, differences in our likes and dislikes, our ethnicities, all these things that the Lord has brought to us to work through in holy and pleasing ways. And then we last week, we had a, uh, what I thought was just a, a great series and sermon on sharing a meal together and the theology of food that we find in the New Testament. Uh, and so I think that was a great one. And this week, we're going to talk about sharing the gospel. We're going to talk about our genuineness in our community. Because if a, if a community is really genuine then we want to grow and expand that community, correct? And how we do that is by sharing the gospel. If you are our guest with us, uh, my name is Brent. I'm one of the family uh, pastors on staff, and I'm just delighted that you are here. Uh, our pastor is uh, off right now, and um, that is a, I think that's a wonderful thing for him. He doesn't take off many times a year. Uh, so we are doing this. We're going to get through it. Kids, the welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're in here as well. Parents, I promise you I'm going to echo what Rebecca said. Um, I teach students uh, for a living, and so they, they will not go any crazier than our students, that's for sure. So I'm used to it. Don't worry about it. They go through the aisles or color on their bellies. That's fine. No worries whatsoever. Go grab your Bibles. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be. As you turn there, um, there was a guy by the name of Fritz Kreisler. Anybody know who Fritz Kreisler is? Early 1900s violinist, world famous violinist. He made tons of money uh, for his music and compositions. He was traveling uh, overseas, and uh, he saw a violin that he just had to get. It was this exquisite violin. Uh, but something about Mr. Kaiser is, is that he would give away most of his money before his trips. And so he saw this exquisite violin, and he went in to buy it, and he didn't have enough money to purchase the violin. So he came back home. He made enough money. He took a trip back just for this violin to go in and purchase this violin. So he went in the store and he noticed that it wasn't there. He asked the clerk, hey, where is this violin? I saw it just a few weeks ago. He said, I oh, just sold it to a collector. This collector, uh, he might, you know, he might want to sell it to you for the price, if the price is right. Here is his address. So Mr. Chrysler went to the home address of the collector and um, asked him if he could purchase the violin. The collector said, I'm sorry, Mr. Kreiser, I know who you are. Um, I appreciate your interest in it, but it's been actually, this last three weeks, one of my prized possessions that I'm going to hold into my, uh, my case, into my trophy case. So uh, Mr. Kreiser said, oh man, just dis disappointed and disarray. He, he was walking out the door and he turns to him and says, well, before you consign this um, violin to silence, may I play it just one last time before it's just going to be a trophy on a wall for you? And he says, well, sure, that would be great. I mean, I'm Mr. Krauser in my, in my living room playing the violin. Absolutely, let's do this. So he began to play it, and the collector was overwhelmed with the majesty and the beauty of the music that came forth from this violin. 
And so he said to him, he said, Mr. Krauser, I can I cannot have no right to keep this violin here with me. I have no right. You can use it. Go into the world and let people hear what I just heard. And so this morning, we're going to talk something about something that's far greater than music. We're going to talk about something that's far greater than a talent or a gift that one person might have. We're talking about the saving message of Jesus Christ, the message that needs to be shared. In fact, we're called to share it. I saw a quote uh, this week. Um, it says, 90 to 95% of Christians have never led someone to Christ. Now, I don't know if that statistic is right. Let's say for kicks and giggles that that is 10 to 15% off. We're still looking at 80% of our Christian population has never ex- led someone to, to Christ. So my question automatically is why? Why has so many of us in this room, maybe you're feeling a little convicted, how, why haven't we shared the gospel? Why haven't we led anyone to Christ? So the first um, reason I think we don't do it, and maybe you can relate, is that we have a fear, right? We have a fear of failure. Or, or we have a fear of the response that someone may give uh, in, the, uh, in the time that we are sharing the gospel. Um, Tom Rayner, a... Um, Christian researcher, he did a, uh, a book called The Unchurched Next Door, and he gives us research, go ahead, slow that slide up there, um, about, he kind of categorizes, he did a, a data nationwide poll, and he categorizes unchurched in America, this is not a, a worldwide uh, study, this is an American study, um, from, in categories from highly receptive to highly antagonistic. And he puts in these categories in use. So unchurched one, unchurched two, unchurched three, and so forth. And so you see in the middle, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that he's placed the highly receptive to hearing and believing the gospel, these unchurched unbelievers, 11% of the American population. This study was done in 2012, I believe. Uh, so it may be a little bit outdated. Now, the receptive to the gospel, he puts it 27%. So they are receptive, but they're not highly receptive. They, they would, wouldn't mind listening to you go back and forth on what you know about the gospel. Um, 30, now the, the, the most um, population falls in this category, neutral. And there's no clear signs of interest, but they're open to discussion. Okay, so what we're seeing is we're seeing the top three categories, 11, 27, and 36. You can do the math on your own time that would welcome a conversation about the message, about the gospel. These last two are uh, resistant to the gospel, but not necessarily hostile or antagonistic. They they don't really want to hear about what the message is about, or maybe they don't want to hear about what you have to say, uh, but they're not going to blow up in your face, okay? And the last one, um, yeah, they're going to do some fighting back, highly antagonistic and even hostile towards the gospel. Um, it's only 9%. So you can, you can really kind of conclude that if, this, if these are right and, and if the, if the uh, statistics are right, you're not going to come in contact most likely with a highly antagonistic, hostile person that's going to respond so negatively that your fear of failure is fueled. Does that make sense? Now, biblically, we have a response. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, it says this. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. <clears throat> it 
It says, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That is, that's strong words. God did not give us a spirit to have fear of preaching his word, but rather of power. That should give you confidence. That should give us boldness to move forward, knowing and understanding that most people are at least neutral to the idea, much less hostile towards it. I think a second reason that we don't share the message of the Lord is that we just don't surround ourselves on a daily basis with non-believers. We, we, we just don't make an effort. Now, it could be because we are um, nervous about what might happen or the influence that might happen maybe to our kids or to our family. And so some of these righteous reasons that we have, well, I just don't want my kids to be exposed to a non-believing family. And that's real, and I understand that. But again, we go back to this genuine community and this comfort level. If we're always in our comfort zone, if we're always in this um, the realm of just sticking with our community, then how are we ever to grow it? How are we ever to come to a spot that we are seeing new seats, seeing new people come to saving faith and growing His kingdom? Not just Centennial Church, but the kingdom at large. And I think the third reason, and not final, this is just third that we're going to touch on today, is that some of us, maybe most of us, just don't really know how. We, we, we just haven't really been trained on what to say or, or on what to do or how to approach someone. And so the beeper idea becomes a pretty good idea, right? We, we don't know what we're doing, so let's just, let's, just call, let's just call Ross. We've never done it. It's something that we have never done, so um, it's uncharted territory. No matter the reality, um, no matter the reason why, the reality is, is that we're called. The reality is, is that we've been entrusted with the message of hope. We've been entrusted with this idea of sharing the gospel with other people. No matter how scared we are, no matter the, the amount of time we don't spend surrounding ourselves with other people, or the matter that we, we get it right, or we think that we have to get it right, it doesn't matter. Jesus will call us to do it. Luke 24, you have it, your Bible's open. We're going to read this passage, and this passage gives us some insight on um, maybe some, we're going to hit some practical reasons, uh, some practical ways to share our, our faith. But we're also going to look at the way Jesus, I mean, just so in tune with what these two people need that he, um, that he witnesses about himself. So we pick up the story, Jesus has died, he is buried, and he was resurrected, and this was the third day that he resurrected, and he is joining these two people on the walk to Emmaus, okay? Um, if you, uh, there's actually a walk to Emmaus event coming up in October, 
I was talking to uh, the Anglins. Carol and Jason Anglin will be um, going to that. So if you want to know more information, I think it's in Denton. Uh, if you want more information, you can talk to the Anglins. Uh, but we had a conversation Wednesday night about the walk to Emmaus. I hadn't read the story in a while, so I opened my Bible up that night. I said, let me, let me read this story. And, and poof, out came the Spirit's work in a sermon. Because Jesus evangelizes about himself to people who don't recognize him. So let's pick up in verse 13. We're going to read all the way through um, 27, so bear with me. Read along. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they, were t- and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what, what, converse, what is this conversation you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Why are, uh, are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. Here we have Jesus who walks up to these two guys on the road to Emmaus, and he, he, he allows them not to, rec- to recognize them. He, he, he refrains from being recognized, and he just asks them some questions. And he starts a conversation. Well, actually, he doesn't start it. He enters into a conversation that's already been taking place. And he hears some things about himself. Right or wrong, he continues the conversation. He says... No, 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 God, foolish ones, slow, by, slow of heart. You don't got this right. Listen, here's what it is. And the guys were receptive. Here later, we're going to look at how their hearts were burning while he was, uh, while he was talking to them. So I, I think in this passage, there's a few things that we can look at that Jesus does that we can do as well. We can be mindful of when we're sharing the gospel. The first one is that when we're sharing the gospel, we need to use words. Pretty simple, right? It sounds pretty easy, but I understand and I've heard and I know that you probably have this in your mind that a famous saint, St. Francis of Assisi, you know his quote, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, that is a quote that is catchy, and that's a quote that is good, and I like the quote. It, it emphasizes our actions over our words, but 
what it does is it neglects the fact that the gospel requires words. We have to, when we share the message of the Lord, we have to use words. Words may be cheap, but they're necessary. And so what we find is in Luke 24, verse 14, Jesus enters into a conversation. They're already talking. He doesn't just walk with them and lets them see who he is by Jesus and his marvelous deeds and the life that he lived and the death that he had and sacrificed himself for, for us. And the resurrection, that he, he didn't allow them to see that. He just spoke. He spoke words like a common man, walking with the two men. It's, it's possible that we can know all the facts, that we can have everything right, if we can do everything right but still miss the message. Now, if you notice in verse 17, read with me in verse 17. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And what was their response? And they stood still and they looked sad. Some translations say they were downcast. They didn't get it. They missed the message. They thought everything that had happened up to that point was bad news. The, the death of Jesus, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. That's what they thought at the time. They thought that the empty tomb might have been a bad thing. Oh, did, what did they do to the body? Did they hide it from us so we wouldn't be able to do something like this? Whatever they were thinking, they thought it was bad news. But Jesus entered into that conversation, and he gave them good news. There's a lot of people that we know of on the road to Emmaus that maybe we work with, that maybe are in our lives, in our homes, in our families, and they're downcast. They, they, they've missed the message. And, and, and we, yes... Our actions speak loud, but our words are necessary. So we want to come alongside them and give them a word. Jesus, after he was resurrected, spent 40 days on the earth teaching and connecting the dots for the people. Now, he had been doing that in his life and ministry up until his death, but they didn't understand it. After he was dead and after he was buried, they were, oh, man, this is bad news. What do we do? So they were hearing it all the time, but they never connected the dots. And so Jesus spent 40 days connecting the dots. How many more days do we need? We want to consistently teach, consistently share the message with people that are on the road to Emmaus in our life. And you can think about those. I'm going to call you in a minute to think about these people in your life right now that need to hear the message. You need to hear the message of hope. I think the second thing that we can remind ourselves is that when sharing the gospel, we need to be aware of the broader conversations. Most of the time, we think that when we start a conversation up with someone who you're sharing the message of hope with, that you're starting at ground zero with that person. When in reality... They've had so many more conversations. The Spirit has already prompted them. People have already been in their life providentially by God 
to lead them up to that point. We're not starting at ground zero. Rather, we're an on-ramp to, the highway, to their spiritual highway. They have heard the message. They may have heard the message already. They may have had seeds that are sowing at this time. And when we come into that conversation, it should, it should help you. It should give you confidence that you're not the only one that they've ever heard this about. Now, it, it may be, but majority of the time, there's people that have been speaking into that. Jesus, when he walks in on verse 19, he walks into a conversation, and they have prior knowledge about Jesus. In verse 19, it says this, and they said back to him, and he said to him, what things? What, what are you talking about? What, what things have happened in these last days? And the two men said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word. So they got some stuff right. He was, he was a prophet, mighty in deed and mighty in word. And notice the play on these words. Our actions are important, but just in importance is the balance of words with our deeds. Now, when we enter into a conversation, and we know there's some people speaking into this, it allows us to be more communal. There's a community. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of evangelists. And I hope you hear the call this morning, and we say it all the time, to be a minister and a missionary in your workplace, in your homes, in your families. And so when we can assume, and hopefully we can assume that if someone in our community, I want, I want to know Bob Cox has already talked to this person. Chances are he did. When you go to Ohio, I got this really cool story. When you go to Ohio, chances are you're going to run into someone, hopefully, that the Regners have already witnessed to. And if you don't already know, the Regners are some strong evangelists, okay? Um, Case and Regner, we went to um, uh, Ohio. Actually, it's in Kentucky, uh, Creation Museum in Kentucky, and uh, when we were there, we were at a restaurant, and uh, we called our waiter over. We were ordering our meal, and we asked her if there's any prayer requests that she'd want us to pray for her about. And so we're starting a conversation with her, witnessing and, and sharing the gospel. And I'm telling you, Kaysen Regner, um, he, his heart was stirred for the gospel that night. Like I had never seen, one, he was in fifth grade at the time. Um, I had never seen a fifth grader this stirred up for the gospel. And he, would, he did not want to leave until we as adults stepped it up and shared the message of hope with that lady. We weren't getting off the hook on this one. And so we did. Did she accept Christ that night? No. And, and, it, and it really, it didn't set right with Kaysen. He's like, well, we got to try again. Let's do it again. Push the button again. Let's go. I love that. I love that heart. I love that spirit. But we, we planted the seed. So that one day, the next person who goes has the boldness to proclaim to the message of hope to her is a little bit softened. And hopefully, by God's design sovereignty, she can inherit eternal life. We want to get to know their story. We want to get to know who has spoken into that message for them. We want to correct maybe some things that have been said that are probably not necessarily things that you want them to continue to believe. Jesus did that. Jesus says, yeah, you got some of the historical things right, but you're missing something. He says, oh, foolish ones, slow to heart. Believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things in order to enter his glory? 
This, is, this was necessary. This wasn't just a historical event. Jesus corrects them and says this is necessary. So when we enter into a conversation, we need to use words. We need to understand that the broader conversation going on here, that the Spirit could be moving in mighty ways in this person. And the third one is when sharing the gospel, we need to understand that it's a dialogue, not a monologue. A dialogue, not a monologue. Now, this is where I think um, we get a little mixed up. Is that, um, and, and even going back to our fears and our anxieties about it and not knowing what to do, I think and I feel like God doesn't give us all the answers from design of it. It's the very design of it that we would have a dialogue with somebody, not just preach at them. This is why I think that we give you um, all the time from the pulpit here uh, the call and the confidence to, give, to be ministers and missionaries in your workplace. It's because you have something that we can't do on Sunday mornings, and that's the power of a dialogue. This sermon and all sermons are monologues, and are they powerful? Absolutely. God uses the, the pulpit, oh my gosh, all the time. It's a powerful thing. A sermon is a very powerful, intimate thing. But it's a monologue. And there's limits to monologues. You can go places that I will never be able to go into and speak into things that I will never be able to speak into and ask questions that I may never be able to ask. And you have the ability to listen. You have the ability to speak into what they're saying and hear their story. It's a dialogue. It's back and forth. Jesus entered into a dialogue in Luke 24. I mean, and really, if anybody had the power to monologue them, it'd be Jesus, right? And what did he do? The very first two things he did was ask questions. He gathered information. He was diagnosing what they believed. If anybody had the opportunity, if anybody had the power to monologue these guys, it was Jesus. But yet, he entered into the conversation humbly. Didn't let them recognize it. And if you notice, these these men and women are in the same phase of history that we are. These two men on the walk to Emmaus, they're in the same phase of history. Christ has risen from the grave. And he's using scriptures just like we use scriptures to evangelize about himself. They didn't know who he was. So he was, in a sense, a stranger to these men. And yet, the power that exuded from him came from the word. That leads me to my last one. And that is when sharing the gospel, I think it's the most important one. So if you're writing this down, This is a great time. Students, if you got that little notebook, this one is the one to put in there, okay? When sharing the gospel, we need our words to quickly get into God's Word. I mean, just as soon as you can, you get into God's words. Jesus did. Verse 27, he says this, well, it's 26. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I mean, this is 
this is awesome. You have Jesus using his word to evangelize about himself. Same era as us. Same phase of history as us. And Jesus opened the scriptures. We can talk all day long about what we think. But until we open the scriptures, that's where truth really lies. What does it say? If you uh, read down in 28, um, listen to what, what happens. We're, we're going off the, the, uh, the, the passage that we have, but uh, I, I love this. Uh, verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is evening and the day is now far spent. So he went with them to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished before their eyes. And then it says this, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? They had heartburn and they had it bad. It was a good kind, right? Did our hearts not burn when he opened up the scriptures? The power of the word. Second, go back to 2 Timothy 3.15. Right before the famous passage that all scriptures God breathed. Let's go, let's do read a couple of verses before that. He says this. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. The scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. And Jesus used it quickly. So when we are sharing the gospel with people, we need to use words. It's necessary. It's not just about how you do things around them. It's about also engaging them in a conversation. We need to understand the broader conversations going on in this person's world, in this person's life. We need to understand that these, the Lord is bringing, the Lord has a plan for this person. And our, his plan right at that moment is for you to engage and have a dialogue with him. Not a monologue, but a dialogue. Don't just preach at him or her. But also knowing very quickly our job is to get into his word because it is mighty to save. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I, want you to, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to think of a person. I have a friend that I haven't spoken to, or have, excuse me, I haven't seen in many years. Uh, I had a, a job in 2004. I worked for um, Genesco Sports Enterprise. It's an activation company for Pepsi. And a guy named Chris Mann lived in New York. And I was the middleman between New York and Dallas. And I, couldn't, I can't think of more of a heathen than Chris Mann. And I witnessed to him multiple times, and not once was I successful. And I pray for him every single time that this happens. A preacher or a pastor does this, he comes to my mind. And so whoever comes alongside him down the road, I've been praying for this guy. And the Lord do with him what he wills. But I want you to do the same thing right now. Maybe that someone has been in your life for a long time. And I want you to think of that person. Get his face 
in or her face on your mind. And I want you to picture, I'm going to picture him in our community. I want you to picture him maybe in your community group. I want, to, I want you to picture him maybe at a seat next to you, or if you look up down the aisle and you see his face or her face, and the joy that maybe that brings to you that they're part of the genuine community. Now take that and multiply that by a billion. That's the joy that Christ sees on his face. We should have that same love, that same passion, that same eagerness for the gospel so that person can experience the life-saving message that you did. You can look up. We have a really unique opportunity here in our community. We may be in the Bible Belt, but there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord just around us right now. In preparation for this sermon, um, it's kind of sad, honestly. Um, I, uh, I ramped it up this week. I went out of my way to engage in conversation with people that I didn't know at the store, at a restaurant. Um, but it took a sermon, right, <laughs> to get me to get back on the right track. So I understand how it's easy to get off the beaten path and how we neglect sometimes sharing our faith with other people. I get it and I understand it. But in my conversations this week, I found out there's a lot of people that I, that I met that have a very skewed vision and I'm mean, a skewed version of who God is. And they need they need a good word. They need good news. They need Jesus. They need Jesus in their life. They need a correct idea. I mean, they need a correct version of who God is. All of them that I that I witnessed to this this week, probably three or four, they all knew who Jesus was. You can't get a can't get around it here. It's it's everywhere. They all knew that they're supposed to say some things. They had a very different version of God. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be ministers and missionaries this week. I want you to get back on the track. We can't just keep what we do in here and say it's genuine. Can't do it. Genuine community goes out. I love my... um, my youth minister would do the, um, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, and there's all the people. Remember that? Totally remember that? Yeah. I, I, I dug it too. It was awesome. He, uh, he recently changed it. He was at a um, youth ministry conference, and I listened to the, to the um, podcast, and he says, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, and there's all the people. Notice they're not within the walls. They're outside the walls. What we do in here. It's awesome. It's great. It's powerful. It's intimate. It's community. In order for it to be genuine, we need to share a meal together. Absolutely. We need to share our differences. Absolutely. That's important. And do life together? Absolutely. But not to the neglect that we don't take this outside these walls. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we... We love you. We thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you 
for the sacrifice that he gave to us and for us. We pray right now that you would help us be bold in our faith and we could share that message of hope with people. That we would meet people this week that we've never met before and we would use words. We would use those words to get into your word. We would have conversations with people about you, about what you've done for us, but all the wonderful things and deeds that you've given us. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you, maybe you came with a friend. Maybe you have been one of those people that hasn't really understood, never really been talked to. Maybe you're off the street and you come in. It happens some, sometimes. And you don't have this message. You're like, I've, I've never heard this. I pray right now that you'd bow your heads and you would hear the gospel message that God loves you. There is a God in heaven that absolutely is crazy about you. And he wants a relationship with you. And sin, it's done its toll on us. It's done its toll on you. And it separated you from his love. Excuse me, not love. Don't, don't believe that. He separated you from him. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross thinking of you that you would one day be a son and daughter of the Most High King. Would you pray this prayer with me? God, thank you for bringing me to this place. I thank you for delivering me here in this hour that you've given me to experience new life. God, I pray that you'd come into my heart. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I have done wrong. God, I can't get things right. But God, I want a relationship with you. I trust you. I put my faith in you this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I encourage you, if you have prayed that prayer, come find me, come find any of our staff or elders, or just talk to someone next to you. It doesn't really matter. Um, as we uh, approach the end, <clears throat> I want to ask our communion servers to come up. Notice that when Jesus breaks bread with them, he becomes visible to them. You notice that? It wasn't until they broke bread in their home that he became visible. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to come. I want you to meet Jesus here at the table. He's here today. His body broken for you. His blood shed for your sins. If you are um, a guest with us, um, you don't have to be a member here uh, to take communion with us. Uh, we do ask that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, if you prayed that prayer earlier, we welcome you at the table this morning. We want you to be a part of this. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for the body that was broken so that we can have eternal life and for the blood that was shed so our sins would be white as snow.